This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in central Dunedin at Tago Polytechnic, and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well. We're in the middle of the student showcases. It's IT's turn tonight, so we shall be going along and seeing what they've what they've been doing for the year. That's cool. And who are we introducing this afternoon? Today, um, I'm coming to you from Bay Reap, which is my uh, my awesome job that I have here in Whakatane. And I'm introducing our CEO, Dr. Ryan Morrison. Um, Ryan is um, one of the most inspiring people I know when it comes to sustainability goals and how they're implemented across our community. And I'm, I just feel so fortunate to get to work with him. And it's really neat to have you on the show today. Thanks for sharing with us, Ryan. Oh, kia ora for that, Marwara. Um, I'm very chuffed by that introduction. It's very cool to have you in our space as well, I must say. Welcome, Ryan. Great to be here. How was your bubble life? How was your lockdown, for starters? <laughs> Yeah, well, I think we got a bit less um, fucking mad about sharing the fact that we, we quite liked several aspects of our bubble. Um, we live, uh, my partner and I, and a couple of Samoids out at Lake Rotoma. So we've got quite an idyllic setting. And, and once everyone, particularly within our work whānau, were settled and we knew folks were kind of okay, um, it was actually quite nice to settle into that space and just get a sense of ourselves um, as everybody was taking a breath. So it wasn't a bad place to be, I have to say, all, all things considered. So you were working from home? Aye. Yeah, so we, we had, um, so a lot of our work is community-based work. People often out delivering learning programs, could be in people's homes or in schools or in a variety of settings. Uh, and obviously that wasn't going to happen during lockdown. So uh, within, I, I think, about a day of, of the national notice, folks were settled at home. Um, we're all pretty comfortable with the computer lifestyle. And so I was I was actually quite buzzed. We had our first staff meeting the Monday after lockdown started, our little Brady Bunch Zoom session with all the family faces around. And we had every single person plugged in on the first go, which I thought was quite a feat given everything else going on. It was interesting, wasn't it, that that change quite quickly from it being everybody has to be in the same physical space to being quite comfortable in a a virtual space. Absolutely. And 
And I think over time, certainly as within our own little group, I think within teams and organizations from a, a work perspective, you kind of know each other anyway. So there's some familiar aspects. You're getting to see partners in the background of things. But what I quite enjoyed was um, as some of the, the wider um, collaborative stuff started happening, you, you could be having these Zoom calls with people um, in all ages, spaces, levels of hierarchy, if you like. And, and everyone was the same. Everyone had partners folding laundry in the background or a toddler climbing over them they didn't want them to. And it was a beautifully humanizing experience in a funny way um, to go through that, I have to say. We've started doing introductions to the show now, but when we started, we were deliberately not doing them, kind of to emphasize that point that it didn't matter if we were speaking to the, you know, the speaker of the house or to... To, to someone we knew down the road, they were all going through the same oh. thing. They were all surviving a pandemic by by being at home and trying to work from home and dealing with the kids and all that sort of carry on. And it very much was a an equalising experience. Yeah, and I, I think too, one of the things we enjoyed was the opportunity you wouldn't have had otherwise to be allowed into people's spaces. Um, I mean, I thought... So, so I come from, you know, come from come from the states. I've been in New Zealand for fifteen years now, so I'm settling in as a Kiwi. But there's a you know, very real uh, divide, more so in the states, about that professional and personal life. You know, they are very separate bubbles, if you like. Um, that's not quite so much here in New Zealand, although it is certain certainly in place for some organisations. But yeah, I think it was really quickly recognized that we enjoyed being invited in and allowed in and say this this is my space this is me regardless of my title or my job or whatever i'm doing when i'm at work um and so for those for those people who hadn't had the chance to connect in those ways that was actually kind of special and i think some of that certainly has carried on since lake rotomar that's where i went swimming isn't it moira i, I swam did 15k there last year year before <laughs> I don't think I'm going to make it up there this year. 15K is quite a long way around and around now, that, that course that you've got there. It's a beautiful place for a swim. There's a towel in the back of the truck today. I'll be having a dip on the way home. <laughs> so did you get out and get some exercise during lockdown? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I think, um, as I said, we've got, we've got a couple of big dogs, so it kind of gave us a reason to get out with them and, and be the the mindful dog owners we always thought we would be. And every morning we had a little routine of going out and just on the outskirts of Rotomar, there's a little unmarked bush track. So, you know, we were off every day. And I think the first three weeks we saw not a soul. And then by about week three, four, there were a couple of other dog owners having the same experience of let's get it out and, and get going. So we did start um, having to do socially distanced waves to a couple of folks now and again. But yeah, it got us out and about. Uh, which was nice and some fresh air and birds in the trees and all those things. You might be quite busy this summer with everybody having the great Kiwi summer experience. Yeah, well, it start, I have to say out where we are, it does start pretty early. We've already started seeing some folks coming down, shifting into benches and things. But certainly with the warm weather hitting from December all the way through February, um, yeah, the, the beaches and, and spots all right around the lake get quite full and jet skis and camping sites. It's, um, yeah, it's pretty full on. But it's a, it's a nice vibe too. It's a small community. 
Uh, and I think for those of us that enjoy living in, in rural spaces, it uh, gives you that sense of um, getting to know families as they come through. It's nice. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have The Long Way Around by The Chicks. Why this one? Uh, <laughs> well, I'm a Midwest boy, so I'm born in Missouri, and country music's a big part of the family vibe. Uh, and um, the chicks, uh, a fan favourite uh, amongst me and my friends growing up. But that particular song for me was is a kind of a story about could never do things the easy way. Always had to work it out for myself growing up. Uh, and I think even into my work today, uh, I probably yeah take the long way to get there so that I can explore as much as possible. Yeah. My friends from high school married their high school.
So you run East Bay Reap. What does East Bay Reap do? A great question, Sam. Um, so East Bay Reap is one of 13 reefs around New Zealand. Um, they're these really funky rural lifelong learning organizations that basically get to go out into the community and find out um, what people want and need on a learning level, um, whether that's in the early childhood space or um, school-aged kids and youth um, and also adult, and, uh, adult learners and probably in particular those that either didn't get a first good crack at education or they haven't got access to the same kinds of learning opportunities because they do live in rural communities. So we, you know, try to find good local people who've got some skills in those different spaces um, and sit down and ask you, what do you want to learn? What do you need? Uh, what are your aspirations? We get in, you know, we get into that strengths-based stuff quite a lot. Say, how, how can we help you go forward, you and your father? What does that, what does that look like? Is it about um, getting your license or is it about some, some skills to get you into study because you've got something you think you might be interested in. Um, yeah, so it's it's just different every day, all ages and stages, and it, it keeps us quite keeps us quite excited. I have to say. How is it structured that it's able to be that flexible and that learner centred? Uh, it's really it's funny. It's evolved that way out of and some of my research um, experiences focused on asking some of those questions. You know, how does this reap thing work? Was a particular um, thing I wanted to work out as I got in, involved in the place. Um, it, so about forty years ago, it was kind of a, a policy decision, if you like, to give some resource to rural communities but not be structured about it. And, and um, you know, whatever the rationale might have been, it was, here's something, we don't quite know what it is you might need in a rural community, but we know that you're not gonna have access to you work it out. So I guess those principles of being flexible and responsive were in place right from the beginning to say, you just find the things that you need, um, get some local expertise, resource it, and get some stuff going, basically. And so over 40 years, we've had the privilege of building good local relationships. We know who's out there, who's not out there in our different re regions. Um, and so long as we're still engaging with people and saying, hey, what do you need? And, and they're getting something good out of it, we carry on. It's, yeah, it's quite buzzy. And it's everything from, you know, reading programs with kids. We, you, you know, we're partnering um, at the moment with the Storytime Foundation because we've got a big push around the first thousand days and saying, look, if you read to your kids and you, you get some books in the house and you feel comfortable doing that stuff, you'd be surprised how much of an impact that can have on not just your relationship with your kid, but also, you know, their ability to hear words and hear sounds and that will help them when they start going to early childhood or get into school. So um, once you're in the door having those conversations, you often find other things in the whānau in terms of learning needs. Someone, um, you, like I said before, somebody might be to get their license or um, somebody might be interested in some study, but they're not really sure what that involves. So it becomes a whānau conversation about learning as opposed to just the one thing that got you in the door. And do people have a strong sense of where they are trying to get to or, or is a part of it a sort of a, a working with people in terms of developing vision? Yeah, I think that's a big piece of it. It's You, you think about, and I think about the, um, the towns I, I grew up in, you know, I'm, 
I went to 10 different rural schools before I finished high school. The, the biggest one would have been about the size of Whakapane, um, and the smallest would have been ooh, a couple hundred people. Um, and, you know, we didn't sit around and talk about our future and our aspirations and make learning plans together. You know, that wasn't necessarily the, the thing that we passed the time with. So in a lot of cases, you've got families and people who um, they have interests, they have passions, they have stuff in their lives um, that they care about and people they care about. Uh, and so often that conversation about, hey, have you thought about, can, can kind of be the first time they've had it put to them in that way. Um, and so if they actually stop and think about it, they, they can surprise themselves and say, well, no one's actually ever asked me that before. Um, and there's an example of that recently where one of the team came back and had been talking to um, a, a dad who had shown up at an event for something else and, and, some, and someone, one of the, um, the workers just asked him, well, well what do you want to do? Um, and he, he just kind of looked at her for a few seconds and he said, you know, no one's ever asked me that question before. And so it kind of started this really profound um, chat uh, right there in the middle of the field where everybody was having a community day. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of those conversations are of, of realizing you know, what they want to do, what, what our aspirations are. It's just about someone asking um, and seeing where that goes. And that, I think we as reapers quite like that because it just means you're just having a conversation uh, and that seems real. It doesn't seem forced. And then your job is to what, identify and then overcome the, the barriers? Yeah, yeah. So sometimes, you know, I don't take my kid to the early childhood to the playgroup or to the center, but because we don't get transport, we have a car, we can't get there. All right, well, let's get you some transport if that's the option. Or um, if, if there's issues of, well, you know, I'd like to study, but I, you know, I, I left school and I didn't get this, and I, did, I didn't get my NCAs, and I don't even actually know what that is, really. And so, oh, well, let's let's sit, let's have a look. And um, a lot of the work we do in adult and community education, you know, we pull up people's records of learning from when they were in school, and they get real shocks at how many how many credits they got awarded. Well, they didn't know that. No one's ever sat, sat them down and said, this is what a record of learning is. But once they see that actually they've already got some stuff under the belt, oh, actually, I think I could do that. Yeah. So, so yeah, our job is to think, sit with them and say, well, if that's what you want to do, here are some things you might need to think about. How can we help you? Or is there someone local who can help you? And we work as much as possible with other organizations. So, you know, we're all helping to pitch in around different families and learners. And lots of opportunities to celebrate success because it's a success. Oh, if, if, the, if it's at one end, it's the fact that you've found a way of getting this kid to preschool and at the other end, it, it's, it's going on into a higher education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, taking that final approach means that everybody celebrates learning as it goes. And like you say, whether it's about getting kids... Um, into school more regularly. You know, there's been a lot of national conversations held recently about poor attendance at school and saying, well, actually, if you can get them there and get them interested and engaged, and a lot of that's about contextual learning is the, is the stuff we talk about. You know, learning that's it's put inside something you're interested in. And when you think about science and technology and you think about arts and drama and creativity, I mean, you can't not find something a young person's interested in but you've got to once you you've got to find the thing and once you do and they get buzzed about it that's all they want to talk about and if you at home and have got an environment where the, you know mom dad grandma grandpa um the queen down the road whoever's whoever's looking after 
that child, they can get involved in that conversation. Ooh, it's uplifting. Everybody's excited. Yeah, and that, that's what we like. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mahi aroha nui, kia koutou, kotahua hau. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope that wherever you are and whatever is happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are. A triumph of nature's art. Perfect, unique and here making things better. Thank you. So of course I've been having a very exciting time and I'm recording this for you in the midst of a rainstorm at Orokunui Eco Sanctuary and it's a beautiful day here. The rain cascading down nourishing and nurturing all the beautiful life that is growing and growing each day here inside the safety of the mighty fence of defense and inside the safety of the embrace of a supportive community. We are awaiting the arrival of Elm Grove School, 40 beautiful students from year one and two whose focus is mini beasts and we have been preparing ourselves to give them a slightly different adventure due to the rain. But my experience from having worked here at Orokunui Eco Sanctuary from the last 11 and a half years, I've been so lucky, is that even in the rain, even in the snow, even in the hail, even in the baking sun, even in the ferocious winds of Tafarimatia, the best adventures can always unfold if that is our intention. And if our attitude is to venture forth and embrace the opportunities that abound and surround us, we will have the best time. So driving out here this morning with one of my dream team, Samuel Purdy. I've been hearing about all his adventures up in the mountains, up in the alpine zone. And he told me a story about really, really hoping to find lizards and journeying up there with all these other scientists and dock rangers who are taking tracker tunnels there. And he went into a place called Gloomy Gully, which sounded very exciting. More than a thousand metres up, was dropped there by helicopter, which sounded very, very exciting. And he was surrounded by Kia and Rock Wren. And I love the story about the Rock Wren, that if you want to find them, you take a down pillowcase with you and sprinkle some feathers from the down pillowcase and they'll come out of the little rock crevices that they're hiding in. And they'll take the feathers and take them back to their nests. Of course, they love the feathers for their fluffy, beautiful nests. And feathers are in high demand up in the alpine zone. So he saw all these wonderful creatures, but he didn't see these lizards that he was hoping to see. Even though one year ago, a footprint was found in a tracker tunnel, a skink or a gecko had walked through the ink and left their footprint behind. So there was this tantalizing possibility that he might find some very rare alpine lizards. But in this particular situation, he didn't. But he did find his dreamed of Mount Cook Weta. And he was searching through the alpine zone, turning over these rocks. And there were three Mount Cook alpine wetas, a big female and two smaller males. So this was the ultimate jackpot. And he showed me lots of photos of them this morning. Very, very excited about this. So in just the same way, we, of course, were, according to the weather forecast, going to have lots of sunshine today. We do have rain, but we will absolutely still have the best adventures. And because it's raining, we will see so many different birds and different aspects of the forest that we wouldn't have seen if it was sunny. So I really hope that for you, if the unexpected is occurring around you, if you're in the midst of a rainstorm, and if you are finding that 
these tantalizing possibilities have not come to fruition on this particular adventure for you, that you can reframe and enjoy that absolute intention of embracing the opportunities that are there for you to make the best adventure for yourself as you so richly deserve and I will keep you updated as we all know this particular adventure for me is a very fascinating time and I'm in the process of facilitating the maternity of beautiful goddess Mahuika the Heihei and beautiful goddess Maya the Heihei from Heihei HQ. Mahuika has had one baby beautiful Kornui and Maya is sitting on eight fertile eggs so I'll keep you posted with all these exciting developments and I'll really look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much Kakite. We're still celebrating Tahu being named Otago Person of the Year last weekend. It's not going to get old soon. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Ryan Morrison. What's the the role of or the relationship between the individual's learning and the community as a as a whole learning? Um well, there's, there's a big discussion, I think, going on um, within the education sector around, um, and has been for a long time, place-based learning, uh, which um, sometimes these these phrases and these um, uh, concepts get thrown around. So what does that mean? I, th- I think the connection between what learners are doing in any environment and the wider community is about, um, so where are you doing that learning and what are you doing it for? And the sustainability conversation for us is a space that's helped to connect up some of those things. Um, I was on a, a call last night around um, sustainability uh, leadership, really. You know, where are we taking this notion of sustainability and creating a better, prosperous future for everybody? Uh, and we talked about this aspirational notice, notion that wouldn't it be great if sustainability and environmental learning was built into all levels of education. This notion of kakitiakitanga and looking after the land and looking after each other and our well-being. Um, but you talked to little kids about it. You talked at school about it in terms of science and technology. You talked about um, what are the jobs coming that are about changing the way we as a country and we as a society operate. That's a really big, beautiful aspiration. How do you connect that to the community? about saying what's the community passionate about what does the community care about um and i think a lot of that is tied into social issues people wanting clean rivers people wanting um to restore um traditional agricultural practice people wanting to make sure that um dune restoration and, and coastal erosion is stopped so that the places they live can be captured and remembered and lived and thrived in um, and those are all really, those are really great places for contextual learning um, and they're relevant to the community because the community cares about those things. So that's that's where we play is to try to say, so if that's what's important to you and your family and your community, how do we teach you stuff in terms of those issues? Because that's what we know you'll, you'll come and, and play with. Yeah. A question we've been asking people on the show is what lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic response for the the bigger questions the sustainability questions climate change or social inequity or, or biodiversity collapse 
the sorts of things that have taken us generations to get to and might take generations to fix. Can we take anything mm. from the pandemic for those? Yeah, well, it's it's quite interesting, is it? Because I suppose one of the things that we talk about in sustainability is how interrelated all the issues are, right? So one of the immediate reflections from uh, the pandemic and from the period of lockdown in Aotearoa, um, especially, I think, is that sense of taking a breath and, and finding better balance and better well-being. Um, and there were degrees of that because obviously some people were in more of a financial pressured situation or some people were just devastated in either um, having people get sick, um, potentially having people die or losing their jobs. So those, you know, people who experience those things obviously um, would be in a very different space to those who had the fortune and ability to just be at home, be safe um, and get get that balance back. But um, I do think that there's a piece of sustainability in that, that if we ourselves as individuals and as families, if we're not sustainable in how we live, if we're not looking after ourselves and each other in the right way, then how can we be expected to go out into the world and look after each other and have a sustainable environment um, in the social sense? So I think those reminders will keep coming back around how we check in on those things and don't default back to um, uh, unsustainable practices, overworking ourselves, pushing ourselves, our time, our resources beyond um, beyond breaking point, which um, unfortunately, I think many of us could have been um, could have seen that was just how we operated. So that's, I think, a good learning that will keep coming through. Um, but I think the other thing that's really interesting from an economic and equity point of view, and it's probably reflected also in some of the generational discussions happening on a values level, like how millennials and Gen Z um, workers coming into the workforce and leaders coming up into spaces just view the world differently and they prioritize things differently. Uh, I think what the pandemic did was to say, you know, the, the world literally got sick together. Um, and we see that as a manifestation, some of us on a values basis or a wider basis of things aren't in balance and they're getting critical and we've got to do something about that. And so I think that sense of urgency from the pandemic, not just from an employment perspective and a health perspective, but an overall well-being and equity perspective will carry through. If we only have so much resource between us, if we have only so much time and so much energy to care for ourselves and, and each other, who's most at risk? Who's most vulnerable? Uh, and so a, a lot of what REAPs try and remember when we work in the education space is it's about everyone has the right to a great education and an education that helps them build a future. A question we need to ask is who's most vulnerable in the system? Where can we go and have conversations with people who have got the least opportunity and bring that to them? So I think the, the pandemic shift that comes from the way we live um, and, and, and the way that we look after ourselves and each other, I think that will continue to have an impact on the way that businesses operate, on the way that we provide services, and the way we walk out the door every day and, and look at the person um, coming down the sidewalk uh, and say, you know, how are you? Um, how are you today? And how can we help each other? So in terms of that wake-up call, people are calling it a, a, a reset. How are you mm. seeing it in terms of that 
opportunity. Is it a, a rebound to business as usual? Or is it a shift to something regenerative? What, what's the opportunity and what can we do about it? Um, I, th- I think there's, again, varying um, levels of success in terms of the reset there. I, I found it really interesting. Uh, the first week we were back open at level two is when we opened the doors up and started kind of at distancing, but um, being with the public again. And there were, I noticed some partners who worked in different organizations um, within that first week of being at level two and things starting to do get about again, um, they were immediately on the go at full speed, panicked, running from meeting to meeting to meeting. And I thought, uh, this is really interesting. We've literally just come out of, of a globally unique experience that has shaken everyone and really highlighted that we need to maybe be thinking about things differently. And there were not everyone, but I did notice there were some who immediately default right back into those patterns. And also other people who really shifted uh, the way that they were going to pace themselves, the way they were going to do things differently and look after um, the people around them differently. So um, I think the opportunity, again, it's that you go back to the sustainability conversation that we want global change, but you've got to act at a local level and you've got to act at an individual level. I think for the opportunity and the reset to be real, we've got to take personal responsibility and remind ourselves, am I, am I different? Did I, did I make a change? Um, Did I use that really scary experience as an opportunity to be a better person today and tomorrow? Uh, And that only really works if we individually, I think, stop and ask ourselves that question and really work um, to be different ourselves so that as a, as a whole community, we can be different and we can be better. Maybe the work that REAP does is in part the answer to the the old mantra of think global, act local. Mm. Yeah, well, we um, we did some work with the Human Rights Commission a couple of years ago uh, when we started looking at the sustainable development goals, uh, and they actually brought the sustainable goals to our doorstep. We hadn't really seen them or worked with them up to that stage. But prior to talking about the SDGs, we just had a conversation about the Declaration of Human Rights. What what are those basic rights? And we talked a lot about education as the fundamental right, that education is kind of the right that unlocks all the others. If you don't, if you don't know the right information, if you if you can't educate yourself about what to do and, and what you need, how can you be expected to go out and look after um, look after your well being? How can you be expected to go out um, and and get work or to be part of community projects um, that are increasingly complex because they're dealing with complex issues? So yeah, we see education and the works that the work that REAPs do. Uh, as something absolutely fundamental to building sustainable well-being into the future. Um, and it's just a long game. And it's a game that's very exciting when it works, when it clicks with people. Um, and there's other times when you can see there's a lot of there's a lot of time you've got to give for people to grow in their own time and on their own terms. And that vision yeah, space. That vision that we were talking about before, the, when you're going out and talking to communities, it's not education for the sake of it. It's how can education enable these community goals that education is a fundamental that unlocks all the others. 
you're not seeing it as education for the sake of it. It's not just about qualifications. No, not at all. Uh, and you know, we so at East Bay Reef in particular, you know, our, our vision is everyone learning and everyone connected. This idea that if you were looking at the world was was pure and fulfilled and, and aspirationally everything it could be, that everyone would always be learning all the time and always be connecting and building relationships with themselves, with their family, with their community. When all that stuff is 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 fulfilled, we are the best version of ourselves. That really holistic view of the end result of learning, which is never an end result, of course, because uh, I keep reminding people that education isn't a system. I really uh, I push back against that language. Education is a series of meaningful experiences in our lives that shapes who we are. And it is continual. It is lifelong. Uh, and that's what I believe a bit special about what REAPs do is because we are lifelong in the way that we work across all ages and stages, we get the privilege of helping people continually realize their potential all the way through. But there is no end point. Um, so long as you're living, there is an opportunity and a need to learn and to grow. And, and we really um, enjoy uh, the relationship side of that philosophy. We enjoy getting to know people, getting to support them. Uh, the education piece is important. It's important to be clued up on what's happening in the world and what are good practices in community education and early childhood education and schools and youth education. But that's not the, that is not the, uh, be all of our existence. It is about those relationships and making sure people are using learning to grow, to get better, to move forward. Let's have Pink. What about us? Why this one? Um, uh, just a little bit of a political nod to um, the shift, I suppose, in the, in the States recently. Uh, it's um, Pink as an artist is one I, I really like. Uh, she's a bit of an act activist, feminist and, and bad chick in a, in a cool way. Um, but wrote this, you know, talked about, uh, we talk about creativity a lot in education. And she talked about writing that song as one of those creative moments where she felt she was uh, just a vessel receiving something. And I think she said she wrote the thing in about 15 minutes, but it was such a poignant st collective statement about communities not being heard and people needing to stand up for each other and for themselves. Uh, and it just feels um, really relevant at the moment.
your children that need to be loved. We were willing, we came when you called, but man, you fool. trying to make a political statement we could have played green day american idiot <laughs> yeah well there's a, there's a there's some chunky choices at the moment i have to say where it's all still still kind of playing out so i have some questions to end the show what is the mm-hmm. biggest success you've had in the last couple of years <sighs> me personally anything you like oh I think the biggest success, um, the, the, what just stands out to me is probably really in the last six months, watching relationships deepen in all kinds of ways. I just, we talked about that reset before. And I suppose the people that we've seen in my personal circle that I've seen and the, and the people I have the privilege to work with and alongside in communities, um, 
it, it's just it's felt less like a success for us to come through um, this pandemic. And it does feel like we're coming through. It does feel like we're starting to get um, get there. And of course, the talk of things like vaccines helps in the background. But yeah, it, it feels like we've built some deeper, really meaningful connections with each other. And that's been really special. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in our team. What is the superpower that has got you into the mansion? Ah! <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Um, superpower. I think, I think my superpower is probably a bit of optimism. Uh, I, I have members of the team who, with a bit of aroha, uh, they do kind of roll the eyes on occasion. You know, something really challenging happens uh, and I can't help but default to that this is going to be okay. We're going to find a way through this. Um, and I, I think that optimism is probably fueled a bit by uh, I enjoy challenge uh, and I enjoy taking things apart with people and saying, you know, let's rebuild this, but let's, let's rebuild it better. Um, so, yeah, that, that kind of optimism and maybe a bit of resilience in there, I feel like I can, I can give it a good go when things happen. So do you consider yourself to be an activist? I think so on a level. I, th I think there's different versions of activists. Um, I'm, I don't necessarily carry placards on a daily basis, but I think activism is about bringing to light really important issues and information that we need to act on as people. Uh, and certainly I'm in education because I believe education is a social justice field and we have to keep educating ourselves and others to make a difference. So, yeah, in that sense, I'm an activist. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, I just love being a part of the, the world that we're in at the moment, which might sound, maybe there's that optimism and that Pollyanna wow. behavior coming through. Um, I get up because I've got a good group of people in my personal and professional life who I feel like I can connect with and I can make a difference with. And I think fundamentally um, we as people are inspired when we feel like we're connected, we're understood, and we've got something to, to offer. And at the moment there's plenty of spaces to offer support in the world. So, yeah, that gets me up and gets me going. So what's the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Hmm. I think the biggest challenge that's on my radar, just thinking about some of the conversations I've been having with people, um, and I think part of the reason that the sustainability COPAFA um, resonates so strongly is there is a global cognitive and values-based shift happening that the things that are have been at crisis point, and we can talk about climate, but it's so much more than that, um, the things that have been at crisis point, they need action. And what I find uh, is exciting, but also going to be a real challenge is a lot of that shift, I believe, sits with a new generation of people coming through who are beginning to take action and also beginning to take up leadership positions within communities and within organizations and within government. And those people, those, those younger leaders, 
view the world differently and judge the world differently and want to make very different decisions about how to look after our future. And so I think there's a very immediate challenge in negotiating how do you allow those people with those solutions, those those rangatahi who will be who will be our our wisdom keepers and our future makers of tomorrow, how do you make a space for them and not just the conversation, but the decision making um, formally and informally? I think that's a that's a real tension point for the people who see the stuff that needs to happen and those that decide what happens. Um, yeah, so we've got a, a, a space to navigate there, I think, that involves education, but also involves some, a lot of relationship building. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Oh. <laughs> um, I suppose, look, if, I try not to give advice unless I'm asked, but since I'm being asked, um, the advice I would give is that each of us remembers each day to wake up with a bit of gratitude. Um, and for some, it's easier than others. Some of us have have less on our plates than others, but... Uh, when you wake up and put a bit of gratitude in front of yourself in the mirror each day and, and you look around, if you've got family or friends, people around you that you can, again, connect with in a meaningful way, just being thankful for that. Um, I think it's, a, it's a, a bubble lesson, that notion of what do we, what do we take away from this significant event? We were grateful at the time when we got to our bubbles and we felt safe and we had people around us that would look after us. But when we come out of our bubbles, I think we need to remember to carry that gratitude with us because that reminds us to be humble. It reminds us that it's not just about ourselves and it reminds us that we are here to look after each other and to, and to make um, make a difference through our relationships in our communities. So, yeah, that would be my advice. Thank you very much for that. We would get Mawira to do a summation, but she has disappeared on us. <laughs> She was having trouble with her phone earlier on. I think that was the noise we got in the middle. Thank you very much for joining me. It's been a fantastic conversation. We're going to go out to King by Years and Years. Thank you. Cheers, Tony.
with people in their safe spaces, their bubbles around the world. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in North Dunedin with Mawira Karatai and Ryan Morrison from Akatami. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.